when someone does something to hurt you, um, it's, it's them acting in sin. And I had the thought today of, you know, when I acted in sin, it was love that drew me. It was God's love that drew me to him. So when we forgive uh, someone who has sinned against us, we talked about this before, forgiveness brings glory to God. We show the love of God when we forgive. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to walk in victory. You got to know who you are. You got to know what God said about you. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. You stand on the word of God. So let's go ahead and look at, we're just going to look at a little piece of John the Baptist. His ministry was really big about uh, repentance, uh, the baptism, baptism, repentance, confessing of sins. He was preparing the way for Jesus to come. So Mark 1 and 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that is, requiring a change of one's old way of thinking, turning away from sin and seeking God and his righteousness. And all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem were continually coming out to him and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So he preached a lot about repentance and baptism and confessing of sins. And that was not the way that the Sadducee, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, that was not the way that they believed um, would make you right with God. And so it really caused the issue in that time. Uh, but John was preparing the way for Jesus coming, who was going to bring us a new way of life a new way of forgiveness, a new way of salvation, a new way of becoming clean and being in right standing with God. And so we're going to see a lot as we study, we're going to see a lot of contrast between relationship and religion, between uh, fulfilling the law through works or fulfilling the law through faith. And so we're going to see a lot of that. And, and it really caused a ruckus. It really caused a problem with those that really walked in their own righteousness at this time. Okay. And so now, um, and I wrote in my notes that now we're going to, as we continue to look at the ministry of Jesus, we're going to start seeing that, that forgiveness now becomes a matter of the heart, forgiving and unforgiving. They both become a matter of the heart. Okay. So let's continue. Um, Let's see. Let's look at Matthew. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Let's look at Matthew 15, uh, starting at verse 8. Matthew 15, verse 8. Okay. So, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. So, now we're looking at the heart. This is the matter of the heart. But in vain do they worship me, for they teach as doctrines the precepts of men. So not of God, but of men and their standard. As Jesus called the crowd to him, he said, listen and understand this. It is not what goes into the mouth of a man that defiles and dishonors him, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles and dishonor him. And he's going to start explaining. He's going to give explanation of what he means by this as we continue to read. 
Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say this? So they had an issue within their heart when Jesus said this. And he answered, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant will be torn up by the roots. Leave them alone. They are blind guides leading blind followers. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter asked him, explain this parable about what defiles a person to us. And he said, are you still so dull and unable to put things together? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? So whatever you put in, it, you know, goes out. But whatever word comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this is what defiles and dishonors the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and plans, murders, adulteries, sexual moralities, theft, false testimony, slander, verbal abuse, um, blasphemy. These are the things which defile and dishonor the man, but eating with ceremonially unclean hands does not defile the man. I wanted to pull that scripture out because it really shows you what it, it really lays the foundation of Jesus's ministry. It's about the heart. God want, wanted and wants us to have relationship with him. Okay. And so I want us to look, go back to Mark. Let me put that in in case I need to go back there. I want us to go to Mark one, uh, back to Mark one. And we're going to start at verse eight, read eight through 11. So this is John the Baptist again. As for me, I baptize you who come to me with water only, but he will baptize you who truly repent. So that's the, that's the heart. That's your mind turning away from your sin to God. So he will baptize you who truly repent with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming out of the water, he, John, saw the heavens torn open and the spirit like a dove descended on him. And a voice came out of heaven saying, you are my beloved son and you, I am well pleased and delighted. This is really important because in order for Jesus to fulfill the assignment that God had called him to, he needed the Holy Spirit. So just like Jesus in order for us to do what we are called to do, we need the Holy Spirit. In order to walk in forgiveness, in order to do the assignment that God has, has called us to do, we have to receive the Holy Spirit. You can look in the book of Acts. They, they could not go until the Holy Spirit fell on them. And then God told them to go out and do the ministry. So in your own works, which was the way it was, the old law, the, the law, and in the old covenant, um, the old testimony, I mean, the old uh, Lord Jesus, the old uh, testaments, <laughs> the old testaments, um, it it wasn't about waiting on the Holy Spirit. You didn't you didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So it was a lot about work and toil and earning and and so much. But now when we receive Jesus, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And now not in our own strength, not in our own might, not in our own toils and not in our own works, 
but through him and only through him, through his power, can we go and do the works that God has called us to do. So this is really important to understand that if Jesus, the son of God, had to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, so shall we. And so I've been very clear about this Bible study that we have to include the power of the Holy Spirit because it empowers us to do anything. So as we continue to study forgiveness and as we continue to look at what is required of us as it pertains to forgiveness, keep in mind, always keep in mind, and it's not in my own strength. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I really wanted to pull that out. Um, Okay, so now I want us to go to verse 15. Verse 15, actually verse 14. So we're back, we're still in Mark 1, verse 14. Now after John the Baptist was arrested and taken into custody, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and saying, so here's Jesus's ministry. And he, as he's preaching, the appointed period of time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Now listen to this. Change your inner self your old way of thinking, um, uh, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life and believe with a deep abiding trust in the good news regarding salvation. That is so, 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 so good. And so as we talk about repentance, repentance is changing your mind changing the way you think. And I said before that it is be, it is a matter of the heart. I want to read out of uh, this dictionary, the Bible dictionary that I have. I looked up the word heart. Um, he, we are so we're, you know, the ministry that God has given us is called soul sisters. So soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, that plays a huge part in this life as a believer because it needs to be sanctified. Um, And so I really thought this was very interesting. I'm going to read the definition of heart to you. Heart, the center of the physical, mental, and spiritual life of humans. The heart and the intellect are closely connected. The heart being the seat of intelligence. So, and I've actually heard a, a pastor say that it is the throne of our soul. So it's the seat of our intelligence. The heart is connected with thinking. As a a person thinketh in his heart, so is he. So as I said, it's the matter, the, the ministry of Jesus really is about the matter of our heart. It's about our soul. It's the way we think. And so as he ministers about repentance, he wants us to change the way we think about our sin. Change the way we think about God, understanding that if I receive his son, Jesus, and I I realize that I need a savior, I see my sin as something that I can overcome with Christ. I see my sin as something that separates uh, me from God. I'm going to turn away from my sin. I'm going to accept Jesus and I'm going to be in right standing with God. But you have to repent. You have to understand that what this sin is, it's unclean. I don't want it. It doesn't honor God. It's not who I am. It's not a part of my identity. I'm not going to live this way. I'm turning. I'm changing my mind about that thing. I now know that I don't have to live in sin. I now know that if I have, if I have faith, 
If I believe, then I can receive and I can be in right standing with God. So repentance is huge and it's really just your mind coming, making a decision in your mind, believing this word, believing in what Jesus has done, believing in who he says he is. It's, it's about believing. It's about your faith and that's it. Um, and so that was really, really, really important. And I love where it says, repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking regret past sins. So regret them, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. So you can't just say, okay, I repent. And you still habitually, and we talked about that, I think uh, somewhere either in love, well, I think in love and identity Bible study, habitually sinning, that does not prove your repentance. Because what happens is first you, you have to believe and what you believe we just read. So what you believe is going to come out of you. It's going to manifest in your behavior. And so proving your repentance has to start with the way that you think about it and then seek God's purpose for your life. Understanding now that you are not here for yourself and you seek God for what is he called you to do here on this earth? What is your purpose? What is your assignment? So I thought that was so good. And it continues to say, and believe with deep abiding trust in the good news in Jesus Christ. He is the good news. Okay. So that's really, really, really important. And at this time now, the sacrificial system was no longer pleasing to God because he wanted relationship and it that the sacrificial system really became just okay well i'm going to kill an animal i'm going to now i'm in right standing with god now now i'm holy my what i do and it was just so much but it wasn't getting us in relationship with him and from the beginning god wanted to have a relationship with us i want us to, and i want to show you that in the scripture i want us to go to hebrews 10 starting at verse 5 Okay, therefore, when Christ enters into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but instead you have prepared a body for me to offer and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You have taken no delight. He's taken no delight because he wants us. He doesn't want all these acts that we do without our heart. He wants our heart. He wants us to want him. He wants to have that relationship with us. Then I said, uh, verse seven, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written of me in the scroll of the book. After saying in the citation above, you have neither desired nor have taken delight in sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. And we talked about all of that last week, which are offered according to the law. So by works, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. And so he does away with the first covenant as a means of atoning for sin based on animal sacrifices so that he may inaugurate and establish the second covenant by means of obedience. 
And this is where obedience is better than sacrifice. Now, the obedience of Christ coming and knowing what he's stepping into and knowing that it's going to put us in right relationship. Now it becomes better than all the sacrifices. And that's beautiful. So God wanted to have that relationship. And that's why Christ came so that he can reconcile us back to God and have that relationship. Um, And I put here that Christ's obedience is better than sacrifice. And our obedience is also better than sacrifice. But Christ could not fulfill that role without the Holy Spirit. So we cannot be obedient to God and fulfill the purposes that he has in our lives without the Holy Spirit. Okay, so um, I hope this is good so far. I want to make sure I have everything. I have so many notes is written everywhere. Um, Okay, so let's go to another point. We're going to look at how Jesus forgives sins and the reaction of the Pharisees and scribes. Okay, so I want us to look at Mark 2, and we're going to start at verse 3. Now, pay very close close attention to the responses of the Pharisees and the scribes, um, and and self-evaluate, you know, as, as we read this. Okay, then they came, bringing to him a paralyzed man who was being carried by four men. When they were unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Jesus. And when they had dug out an opening, they let down the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their active faith, so their belief, springing from confidence in him, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there debating in their hearts the implications of what he had said. Why does this man talk that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin, remove guilt, nullify sin's penalty, and assign righteousness except God alone? And that was through their idea, that sacrificial system and the, and the works and all of that. Immediately, Jesus being fully aware of their hostility and knowing in his spirit that they were what they were thinking, um, that they were thinking this, said to them, why are you debating and arguing about these things in your heart? So in their thinking, they, they, they didn't think uh, that that was possible. They didn't think that this man can forgive sins, which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, and pick up your mat and walk. And I put for, uh, I put faith versus works here. So, and, and what I mean by that is he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or say, get up, pick up your mat and walk. So is it easier to believe in Jesus or is it easier to go day after day, year after year, finding sacrifices and to trying to earn your forgiveness with God? So what that says to me is, And I think about that. I'm like, that's a lot. But faith to just repent, change your mind about your sin and to believe in Jesus is much easier than doing the sacrificial systems of the past because it was impossible to stay clean. It was impossible. But I love this. So that you may know that the son of man has the authority and power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, 
get up, pick up your mat and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the mat and went out before them all so that they were all astonished and they glorified and praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Oh, that's so good to me. And I put, um, so for unforgiveness is a heart issue. They, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had a hard time understanding why Jesus would tell this man that your sins are forgiven without him having to do anything. He didn't, you, what, you mean he didn't have to sacrifice the animal? You mean that, that it's just, it was just Jesus speaking out of his mouth? Yes, they couldn't believe that. They couldn't comprehend that. And I, I put the issue, the root of that issue that they had is self-righteousness. Because in their minds, it was about them making themselves righteous. We had just read the standard of man, you know, the precepts of men that's measured, that's outwardly, but God looks at the heart of man, you know? So in their, in their thinking, they did not have the capacity to believe that the son of man in his authority and in his power could forgive somebody from their sins. Why? Because pride was invading it. Pride was invading their minds because that's what they were used to. Oh my God. Okay. And so I want us to, um, I want us to, let's see, what else did I have here? Oh, and, and also I love the, uh, verse 12. It says, and he got up and immediately picked up the mat, went out before them all. So, and I circled, so, because this is the why that they were, um, so they so that they all were astonished and they glorified and praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Forgiveness brings glory to God. It brings the glory to him, not to anybody else. And that was again, different from what the Pharisees and scribes believed because it was about self, how good I am, what I have done, even back then, the offerings were depending on where you were financially, what type of offering that you brought. If you if you didn't have enough money, then you can bring a pigeon. But if you had enough money, bring a, it was so it was so self uh, involved. It was so much about self effort and me 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 I I. But the ministry of Jesus was about God. It was about his heart. He loves you so much that all you have to do is believe. And now you are in right standing with him. Your sins are forgiven and you were in right standing with him. That is beautiful. But to someone who deals with pride or self-righteousness, that's an issue. Okay, so the Pharisees, they felt that, that the man, he needed to earn forgiveness. Um, but Jesus... And Jesus saw what was in their hearts. He saw what they were thinking and he, and he addressed it. Um, he wants our hearts to be at a place where we're moldable and, and, and being able to not just receive forgiveness, but also forgive, to give forgiveness to others. Okay, so, um, and this was a great example to me about relationship versus religion. Relationship says, just believe in me, have faith in me. And everything that you need, you can receive. I am the living water. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Religion says I have to earn my way into the presence of God. I have to earn forgiveness. I have to, I have to uh, do right, be right, 
act right, say right all the time. And God knew that we couldn't do that. And that's the beautiful part of him sending his son, Jesus. Okay, so I want us to look at, um, as we continue to look at the ministry of Jesus, I want us to look at why Jesus came. Uh, Mark 2, we're still in Mark 2, 16 and 17. When the scribes belonging to the sect of the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with the sinners, including non-observant Jews and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are healthy have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners who recognize their sin and humbly seek forgiveness. Recognize their sin. That's repentance. They recognize their sin and humbly seek forgiveness. And I loved uh, the NLT version said that I did not come to those who think they are righteous. That is self-righteousness. And I actually want us to, um, I don't want to skip ahead. Let's, I want to read Matthew 5 and 17 out of the NLT. Um, And it says, so Matthew 5 verse 17, this is out of the NLT. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So he came to fulfill the law. It wasn't that he was doing away with it, but he came to fulfill it. There was no way the law could be fulfilled through us humans and through animals and sacrifices of animals. There was no way. He was the only way that the law could be fulfilled. He took the pressure off of us and put it onto him. He took the responsibility of us having to be perfect because we're not made perfect. We're not perfect. Only through Christ that we are, but he was perfect. He knew no sin. So he took it on. So he came to fulfill the law. Um, And so when I talk about the law versus faith, it's not that we're doing away with it, but understanding that the law in in the time of Moses was on effort where now it's based off of faith. And that's really important. And I wanted to address that with you. And then also Galatians 3, verse 24 out of the NLT says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And I love that. So it guided us, you know, what what we should and shouldn't do, but we couldn't fulfill it. And, um, And it protected us until we could be made right with God through faith, through Jesus. He made us right. Oh, he made us right with God. He put us in right relationship with him. Thank you, Jesus. And that's why he came. So why did Jesus come? For that very, to reconcile us back to Christ, to put us in right relationship and to fulfill the law. The law was established. It was not supposed to go away. There was no way that it could be fulfilled only through Christ. Okay, so, um, and, I, and I want us to... Um, realize that when we are in self-righteousness, it will not allow us to be forgiven. So if you, it's not faith. If you feel like that I have to do something in order to be right with God, I have to do something in order to be right with God, then you're saying that's my effort and that's not faith. Faith says all I have to do is believe to be in right relationship with God. And so in order to have that forgiveness, 
from God, you have to believe that there's nothing that you have to do. All you have to do is believe, which is a thinking. It's not a doing. It's a thinking. It's changing your mind. It's back to repentance. Oh, this is good to me, y'all. This is good to me. Okay. And I put, um, with self-righteousness, you do not, it does not give you the capacity because of pride. We have to be low. You know, Jesus came and he humbled himself. We have to humble ourselves. So understanding that what I do, uh, and, and even in, in our behavior, you can do something and it's still not changing you inwardly. But Christ came so that we can be transformed on the inside. So then what comes out is real. It's not fake, but it's genuine. It's a response to the love that we have received. But when you are doing things in self-righteousness, then it's about me and I want the glory. My efforts and my works are so good and you can't receive forgiveness because there's no room for God. It's full of pride. It's full of pride. And so he doesn't want us to be full of that. Self-righteousness really does not give us the capacity to receive God's love because God's love is so big. It's so big that it takes up all the space in us. Okay. Um, all right. And um, self-righteousness doesn't forgive. And I want us to look at John 8, starting at verse 1. Self-righteousness does not forgive, does not allow us to forgive. So it does not allow us to be forgiven and it does not forgive. Okay, John chapter eight, verse one. I'm going to read through, uh, let's see, 12. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came back into the temple court and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began teaching them. Now the scribes and Pharisees bought a woman who had been caught in adultery. They made her stand in the center of the court and they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. So the fact that they have the center, they brought her, they're already walking in pride and self-righteousness, right? They're the ones who want to condemn her. And it says, now in the, now in the law, Moses commands, commanded us to stone such a woman. So at that time, men, they felt that they should be the one that will stone her. They should be the one that judges her. That's self-righteousness. So what, so what do you say to do with her? What is your sentence? They said this to test him, Jesus, hoping that they would have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and began writing on the ground with his finger. To me, I see that and I see humility. I, I just to stoop down. He got low and I know he was doing something, but I feel like that just represents humility. Um, however, when they persisted in questioning him, he straightened up and said, he who is without any sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now we know that none of them were sinless. Then he stooped down again and, and writing and started writing on the ground. They listened to his reply and they began to go out one by one, starting with the oldest ones until he was left alone with the woman standing there before him in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She answered, no one, Lord, no one, Lord. She believed 
She believed in him. She had faith in him. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. Go for from now on, sin no more. Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, so he who believes in him, will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so this is so good because it shows the example of the actions of someone who's walking in self-righteousness and pride is judgmental. It's condemning. It's I'm higher than you and you deserve worse than what I deserve. But this is a son of God who had no sin and he had compassion for this woman. He, he went, he stooped down and was riding on the ground. And you would think a king, would a king stoop down and ride on the ground? And I don't know what he was writing, but the fact that he did that. And I put that, um, I put that Jesus stooped down and um, to ride on the ground to show humility, but he stood up to defend her. He stands up and rises up to defend her and to protect her and to speak to self-righteousness. And so if we take that same stance as believers, that if we humble ourselves and let Jesus speak for us, let Jesus defend us and we stay low. I, I just, I didn't want to spend too much time on that, but I definitely pulled that from that scripture. Um, and I want us to, and, and I know I'm talking a lot about self-righteousness and I want to give a scripture for this stance is Isaiah 64 and six. I didn't have a bookmark in here, but I went straight to Isaiah. Look at the Lord. Okay. 64 and 6. Let me get to 60. There we go. Okay. In Isaiah, it says, For we all have become like one who is ceremonially unclean, like a leopard. And all our deeds of righteousness were like filthy rags. All of our deeds of righteousness. So that's self-righteousness. Our deeds of self-righteousness are like filthy rags. Um, and I wanted to I wanted to just give you some scripture on that. And it also talks more about that too in Romans. Uh, I want to say either Romans 1 or 2, if you want to go ahead and study that. But this, this um, issue of self-righteousness is really important. It's important for us to be mindful that we are not operating out of self-righteousness, but we are operating out of his righteousness, Christ's righteousness. We are made righteous because of Christ, not because of anything that we have done. Okay, so I told you I have a lot of scripture. Let's keep going. I want us to look at how Jesus offered forgiveness to anyone who received, which was, again, totally opposite of the law of Moses and receiving forgiveness back then. Anyone? Yes, anyone. Let's look at Luke. We're going to go to Luke 7. Luke 7, verse 37. All right. Now there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. And when she found out that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her, of her head and respectfully kissed his feet as an act signifying both affection and submission and anointed them with the perfume. So her heart posture, I put heart posture, that was her heart posture. Um, and so she had affection and, sub and submission. Now, when Simon 
the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, so he thought in his mind, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him. Pause. Judgment. Judgment. I wanted to be like, so what you have going on in yourself? But you know, I ain't in this. So I was just reading, but I'm thinking, okay. Um, and so he, he thought in his mind, if this man, if this man were a prophet, he, okay. If he were a prophet, then he would know who he's dealing with. Okay. So, um, and then it says sort of woman, this is who is touching him, that she is a notorious sinner and outcast devoted to sin. Mm. Jesus answering said to the Pharisees, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, teacher, say it. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So one was less and one was greater. When they had no means of repaying the debt, he freely forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I take it for whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you have decided correctly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend to me the usual courtesies shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love, her heart. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she was, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace free from the distress experienced because of sin. Oh, that is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. So Jesus offers his forgiveness to anyone who receives. And again, to the self-righteous mind, to the self and prideful thinking, that, that they don't have the capacity to receive that. They don't have the capacity to believe that that is even possible or that that should even happen. Um, and we have to even look at ourselves as we, as we, um, and I, and, you know, we talked about how self-righteousness doesn't, uh, doesn't forgive when we find ourselves in a place where we are not forgiving or that we don't have the capacity to forgive. We really need to look at our belief. We really do. And, and that self evaluation of, so what am I believing? There's something off in my belief system because I should believe and understand that I have the I should have the capacity to forgive you. If I have fully accepted and believed Jesus in my life, then I should have the capacity to forgive you. But again, that's also abiding in God and his love. And that goes back to last month, his love growing in us and us growing more in, in God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit that enable, enables us to do it. But there is that I believe that it goes back to our belief. 
Okay. Um, so, and I love where it says, forgiven little, love little. But when you're forgiven a lot, you love a lot. And that's why I wanted to, I wanted to magnify the ministry of Jesus this, uh, this, um, this week because we really have to understand how much he has given us, how much he has forgiven so that we can love much. In order for us to forgive, we have to love. So it's the foundation of our forgiveness is understanding how much we've been forgiven. Okay, and then lastly, we're going to look at Jesus teaches on forgiveness to us as believers. And this is important. And with some of the scriptures that I'm going to read today, I'm going to read probably in a few weeks as well. But I just kind of want to, since we are talking about the ministry of Jesus through um, the ministry of Jesus on forgiveness, let's go to Matthew 18 and starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how many times will my brother sin against me? So people will sin against you. And I forgive him and let it go. Up to seven times, Jesus answered him. I say to you, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But before he could not repay, uh, but because he could not repay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and everything that he possessed and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And his master's heart was moved with compassion. I love that. And he released him and forgave him, canceling the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, so less. And he seized him and began choking him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him earnestly, have patience with me and I will repay you. So it's the same thing that the servant had said to the king. But he was unwilling and he went and had him thrown in prison until he paid back the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and they went and reported to their master with clarity and in detail everything that had taken place. Then his master called him and said to him, you wicked and contemptible uh, servant, I forgave all that great debt of yours because you begged me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant who owed you little by comparison as I had mercy on you? And the wrath and in wrath, his master turned him over um, turned him over to the jailers until he paid all that he owed. My heavenly father will also do the same to you, every one of you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart, from your heart. So not just doing the act of saying, okay, you're forgiven and you still holding a grudge and you still don't like them and you still are holding uh, you're still holding debt in your mind. No, completely forgiving them from the debt. So Jesus teaches on that. I want us to look at another one. Matthew 6, Matthew 6, starting at verse 14. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, nurturing your hearts and anger with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, which I love that, but we can't go into that this week, then your Father will not forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is teaching us now what is required of us once we receive him. If he forgave us, if if God Almighty sent his son to forgive us from our sins and all the stuff that we've done, then we should be able to, to forgive others who sin against us. Because it really is when someone does something to hurt you, um, it's, it's them acting in sin. And I had the thought today of, you know, when I acted in sin, it was love that drew me. It was God's love that drew me to him. So when we forgive uh, someone who has sinned against us, we talked about this before. Forgiveness brings glory to God. We show the love of God when we forgive. And having that perspective that I still have sins, you know, my sins may not still be your sins, but I want God to have compassion and forgive me and understand, um, have understanding for me. And then there's that process of sanctification, uh, which we will look at, I think, in two weeks or possibly next week. I'm not sure. But our souls need to be sanctified, understanding that it's a process that we are being made like Christ. We are being made and transformed into the image. So having that mercy and that understanding of our fellow believers that they are probably going to sin against you. They're going to do something to you that's going to offend you. That's going to hurt you. That's going to upset you. Um, but if you are abiding in God and you are spending that time with him and getting what you need from him, then you will have that capacity to forgive them when they show their humanity. And you will want people to have that same compassion to you when you show your humanity. Because we all going to have our days that we just ain't acting the way we should be acting. And we want to have, but we still want to be like Christ. We still want to be obedient to what he is requiring us to do. And it's very clear. If you do not forgive others, then your father would not forgive you. Um, and, you know, again, back what we were just looking at with the, the king and uh, the servant, you know, we have to have that desire and have that, that understanding. And this is the repenting. We have to change our mind about forgiveness. We have to change our mind and understand that when we are not looking at forgiveness as a way of being disobedient, as a way of sin to God, then we're going to keep, we're going to keep struggling with forgiving people. But when we have made up in our mind, I'm going to change my mind about forgiveness and I'm going to I'm going to turn towards God and I'm going to see that this is important to him because it's our way of showing love to others. When we forgive, we draw more people to Christ. And that's what it's about. Uh, if they know that you're walking with God, but you but you don't forgive, what what makes us stand out? What what will make them want to serve that God who his own his own children don't even walk in forgiveness, you know? Um, so let, let's make that, let's make that something that we, that we strive for, that we believe that we have, we have to believe it's by faith. You know, when I say strive, I'm talking belief, not 
physically striving, but believing and spending time in God's word and believing that I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind, by God's word, that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in me. I will be a vessel that will forgive, that will love, that will bear good fruits. Believe it, believe it, believe it, believe it. Yes. Okay. So as I close, these are the takeaways that I wrote down that I just wanted to share with you in my study. Um, and I just kind of talked about it, abiding in God's love and the Holy Spirit working in us and being obedient to his commands will keep self-righteousness from rising within us. It will keep it because we are human. So anytime we do something good, you know, probably going to show his little ugly head and try to rise up in you. Like, yeah, you did that, boo. You did that. No, you're going to have to silence that voice. No, no, this is God. So as we abide in his love, we study his word, we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. We're obedient to his commandments. And that's John 15, you know, abiding in God is not just saying, oh, I'm living with God, but we have to keep his commandments, which is love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That includes forgiveness. So when we do that, that helps keep the self-righteousness from rising up in us um, and we bear good fruit. And then I also put down as another point of takeaway is reading God's word. And I've just said this, renewing your mind. Well, actually, I just said that. Renewing your mind will keep self-righteousness from rising up in you because you're reading, you're, you're studying the life of Jesus. You're reading about the power of God. It's taking the focus off of self and putting it on him, putting it on the one who deserves all the glory, the one who deserves all the honor. Um, and then I put, what can we learn from the Pharisees? Um, and we saw that today. We learned from the Pharisees that they didn't, they didn't believe there was so much, uh, so much pride and so much works and effort that they, they just, they didn't believe. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe that it was that all you have to do is just believe. That's all you have to do. They couldn't, they didn't believe that, but we are going to believe that we are going to believe in Jesus. Um, I pray that all of us will receive him, not just with lip service as we read earlier, but that our hearts, our hearts will be transformed. That the way we think about things will be more like Christ because once you receive Christ, you have the mind of Christ. So you have the ability, you now have the capacity to receive the fullness of God's love and to do the things that he's called you to do, but it's by faith. It's by faith. And that's, that's really all I can say. <laughs> it's by faith. Okay. So I hope this was good to you. I, you know, again, the word of God, oh, so good. And there's so much. And I was just trying to Put as much as I can into this time that we have together. And thank you for joining me today. And thank you for allowing me to come into your home and to study the Bible with you. And I pray that you will go into the gospels of Jesus Christ, learn about what he talked about, learn about what he said, dig deeper more into God's word because it is so good. And you will start to see uh, amazing fruit grow from your life. You will start to see it manifest because it is promised in God's word. Love you and have a blessed week.